Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Trish Duke. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pete. How are you? Awesome. Listen, thank you for coming on. It's been, uh, we're looking forward to getting you on. So tell us, Trish, who are you, what do you do, and where are you from? Well, my name is Trish Duke. I am from Donegal Town. And um, what do I do? Well, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of study on the mindset and on personal development. And I absolutely love this area. So um, if you're asking what I do right now, that's one of the big things I'm doing right now. Yeah. Talk to us. What is mindset? Why is it so important? Well, it's so important to me because, um, you know, my history would be mental health issues, uh, depression and anxiety. So it's really important to me um, to get to know the mind, to get to know the way we think, to get to know the way we behave, our thoughts, our feelings. All of that is really important to me to help me deal with, you know, the anxiety or the depression or whatever. So, you know, I, I just I just love this area so much. And how long has this changed? I mean, is it, is this something you've always been interested in or is it more recent that you've actually Yeah, I would say really kind of late teens, early 20s, you know, I started, I think my first book was Louise Hey, You Can Heal Your Life. Um, and at that time, that would have been really healthy. Um, there were some things I just didn't know what she was talking about now. You know, if I read the book now, of course, it'd be completely different. Um, but I always had, you know, I went to my first, say, a personal development course in my early 20s. So, it was back then I started all that, and I always enjoyed that area so much. Um, and in fact, I never read books, and a lot of my friends would give me books to read, you know, these love stories and all these different stories. Jesus, I couldn't, and I couldn't, I had no interest in them at all. And I'm trying to visualize the characters and all this here, and it wasn't for me. But when I discovered the personal development books, oh my God, I used to say I don't read, I'm not good at reading, but no, that wasn't the truth. I just wasn't reading the right stuff. So Mills and Boone and God knows what else wasn't no, wasn't your forte for then? No, not for me. So tell us, Trish, what what would uh, you know? What does fire in the belly mean to you? Fire in the belly mean to me. Fire in the belly means to me that's a passion that I have. It's fire in the belly, and it's a passion that I have now that I really do want to. I, I work like this. I want to share my knowledge on. Um, dealing with, say, depression and anxiety, I want to share my knowledge on what I've been studying over the last, you know, maybe 25 or more years. Um, but really in particular, and in a lot of depth in the last over two years, I've been a lot more in depth and continuous study. And so the fire in the belly for me now, I know, is that um, I want to share this. And if I can help somebody along the way, then I'd be delighted. It's a great way and to have that passion and to know that it's there for you. I mean, is that something you, it sounds like you've you've taken something that you've gone through yourself and now you're actually going the other way and you're able to stand on that experience and, and help others. Is, is that, has that been a journey for you to take it, has it? 
It has because, you know, going back years ago when all this started with me, there was such a taboo around mental health, like it really was. And, you know, you couldn't tell too many people because it was embarrassing. They thought you were loopy, you know, and and like, you know, the first time that, um, you know, I had to see a psychiatrist, like, I could, what do I tell anybody? I'm even the doctor suggested, Jesus, I'm not loopy. Like, stigma around it you know, was really horrible. So, you know, it wasn't like other illnesses that people could openly talk about it and people would um, listen to them and understand them. This was something that people, and okay, that's fine. I know now, find it very difficult to understand an illness, you know, and, and that's okay. I understand now that that's okay. Isn't it funny? I mean, does that does that come with experience or time or maturity or yeah, what is it? It comes with experience, it comes with time, it comes with healing, it comes with forgiving. You know, because you know, you for me I would have to forgive, you know, people in the past and forgive myself and now allow myself to be me. And that's what I'm all about as and that's what I call my page on Instagram and on Facebook as be be you. Because I just want you to be yourself and now I am so happy to be me, Chris, you know, and be the, the Chris that I was meant to be and not be embarrassed about who I was and what I've experienced and know now that actually what I have experienced has made me who I am today, but I also can do something with people because of it. Well, that is, I mean, that's the next level, isn't it? I mean, to, to get through something is one part, but then to be able to turn around and then reutilize that energy and, and help others that's a that's a whole different ball game it's, it's a beautiful place to be to give a service you know mm-hmm. you know take forward tell us i mean you know you talked there about you know depression anxiety i mean wh- how bad has that got for you in your life i mean you know where has that had played a part for you well it's um like when i started saying my late teens early 20s i just wasn't sleeping and i didn't know why i wasn't sleeping and i went to my doctor and he gave me we sleep on top of whatever and then it just started that i started crying for no reason and i didn't know why i was crying and you know because i was happy and you know i was you know full of fun and joy and i didn't know why i was crying and um like I remember Jerry, who is my husband, um, you know, we just met, we we're just going out. And I remember being in a pub one night and next thing I just wanted to cry and we had to leave and we went for a drive and he says, Trish, have I done something? What has happened? And he hadn't done anything. I just did not know why I was feeling so sad. And, um, you know, it took a while before I was diagnosed then with depression. And do you know why? Do you know where it came from or background to it? No, uh, no, definitely not. I think it's just one of those, some people say it's a chemical imbalance or whatever it is, but no, I couldn't say that there was anything, like I was very blessed, you know, with a good upbringing and that and happy home life and everything. So um, I couldn't say where it was coming from, you know. Um, so like it just then, from then on, Pete, it was like, you know, it started to get you know, worse and, uh, you know, you were asking me there, I think your question was, how bad did it get? And um, I guess the worst it got was when, um, and this is maybe probably when I will get a bit emotional, it was, um, I had, I was, pre- I had Oren, Oren was two, and Lauren, I was pregnant with Lauren. And um, 
my father and myself were very close. We were like best friends, really. And um, Lauren was born on Daddy's birthday. And oh my God, I was so excited that she was born on his birthday. And he came up to see her and that. Now, he was suffering from emphysema, so he, he wasn't really keeping too well. Um, but Daddy then, unfortunately, died eight weeks after she was born. So Daddy died um, on the 25th of November. So um, between probably having a baby, but the loss of Daddy in particular, I think um, the depression got really, really bad. So by, by you know, then December, beginning of January, um, I am now thinking of suicide. You know, and um, you know, I have a wee baby of two and I have a baby of three months old, and um, I'm just planning what I'm going to do and how I can get out of this hellhole, is what I'm calling it. You know, so um, I remember one night I used to smoke back then, and you know, everybody's in bed at night, and you know, when you're suffering from depression, you're not sleeping too well, and you're up in the middle of the night. And I remember being up in the middle of the night and smoking up the chimney and deciding what I was going to do, and I planned what I would do. And then a thought came into my head, oh my God, what if it doesn't work? And I thought, oh Jesus, I'll take the children off me, my God Almighty, I'll take the kids off me. And then in that mind that I had at that time, I thought, right, okay, I'll take the children with me. And I thought of what I would do. Um, and I could justify it. My mind was, you know, it used to annoy me when people, well, if somebody committed suicide and you'd hear somebody say, oh, they're so selfish, they're so selfish. I heard that so many times over the years when somebody committed suicide. And I used to think, oh, my God, if somebody died of cancer, you wouldn't say they were so selfish. If somebody died from a heart attack, you wouldn't say they're so selfish. And it isn't that you're selfish. The illness actually takes you. It's, it's just another illness that takes your life. Um, but at that point then, when I was planning on doing all that, like I knew, I knew. Now, I was seeing a doctor at the time, and he was so supportive and so good, but I knew at this point I needed to be going to hospital because, you know, it had just gone too far. So that was the first time that um, I actually ended up then going into a psychiatric hospital and um, being treated there. In, in hindsight, I mean, was that was that sort of postnatal depression thrown in there? And, or Well, they didn't really... They didn't really say, you know what I mean? It probably was a bit of that peak, there's no doubt about it. It probably was that, and it probably was the death of my father. It was just too much for me that already was very vulnerable and, you know, had was suffering from depression anyway. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how it was. And, you know, when you are at that low, you literally feel that you are a burden on your family. That's the way you feel. You feel you're a burden. So you, you don't want to be that burden on them. And that's why, for me, those thoughts, you know, were going that way because I just thought I can keep doing this to my family because I was just so unwell at the time. It's, I mean, I mean, even as you speak there, it's so funny, isn't it, that, you know, the... You know, had you not been successful, what everyone would have said was mm. more impactful than had you been successful. Mm. And that, mm. I mean, that's quite, is it telling? I can't decide. Is it? I don't know. I just say, thank you, God. Like I talk about God. Um, I'm not religious. Um, 
I don't know what God is. I just call it God. And um, so I just thank God that I knew that when you needed to go into a psychiatric hospital to try and get myself well again because um you know I love my children I love my husband I love my family and um but when you're that unwell and when you feel that you're a burden on them and when it is such a horrendous place to be you know that's part of that illness it takes you down that road of thinking that way and it's as you say it is all encompassing it's not it's that thing where people go, it's selfish. It's so much more, mm. isn't it? Unfortunately, it's mm. it's everything and it's, mm. you can't think. Like so. if somebody, you know, a lot of, like we have a lot of family day of cancer too, you know, when you've seen them on morphine to kill the pain, you know what I mean? They get something to kill the pain. And with, for me, anyway, with, you know, the depression, you know, the medication I was on wasn't killing my pain. You know, you know, it's, it's a pain that you are suffering and it's horrendous. Um, and that's why I try to compare it with the physical pain, the mental, because mental doesn't mean that it's any less painful. It is that balance, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's so much to it, really. Take, take us back a little bit, Trish. I mean, what was what was Mini Trish like? What were we looking at you know, as a young young one? Uh, Mini Trish, well, first of all, there was nine of us, and I was the, I, I'm going to say the second one was really the third, because mum had a little girl that died at birth before me. So there was really 10, you know, mum made 10 full pregnancy, had 10 full deliveries. Um, but no, life was good. Um, I was brought up on a farm where, you know, we had loads of fields to play. We had great imagination as a child. Um and we had so much fun. And like when I see the snow now, and I think back then when we used to kind of, what Daddy had, what we call was feeding troughs, like there were barrels of oil that he used to get and he'd hack them when they're finished. And he'd put sacks in them with straw and you would sit in them, you'd go down the fields and you're up the fields. And people from the town, like children from the town used to come out to do it because it was such good fun. So, you know, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of good times growing up really were you what what sort of if we'd met you were you a outgoing child and going and, and no i was outgoing i think i was outgoing yeah 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 definitely um like you know it was a week early used to sing on the stage if there was what do you call them um bazaars on or different little things on you know what i mean they'd always get fresh up to sing a wee song or packed because over home daddy always called me packed or whatever you know I, so, but um, you know, I always, you know, no, I would have been fairly confident, you know, definitely, I was a fairly confident young girl. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And running into school or running out of school? Which direction were you travelling? Jesus, I did not like school, Pete. No, I did not. <laughs> so I was definitely running out. <laughs> and when you say that, I remember the day I did my leaving cert. I did it in the conference letter, can I? And I mean, the day that that was over, I was going out those gates really singing. And there were some girls crying. And I was going, what the hell are you crying about? I'm just so happy to get out of those gates, you know? Oh, dear. I love it. <laughs> you were wanting to get out and run about the fields and go crazy. Yeah. yeah. Was, it, was it an active farm you were based on then? An active farm, meaning what? People? Your, your, your dad was farming all the time, was he? Oh, God, yeah, 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 it was full time, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was 
I don't know, Daddy had maybe about 140 acres or something. So he was a dairy farmer. And um, so there was, you know, yeah, it was a busy farm. It was a busy farm. Hmm. God, it's always yeah. There's lots of lots of works going on. I mean, would you would you have got involved in the farm? Day no, day it wasn't. No, it wasn't for me at all. <laughs> and you know, sometimes Daddy would ask to come out. Maybe there'll be cattle that he'd want you to kind of stand the gate gap so they wouldn't get in. And I would be breaking it like because no, no. For somebody that was raised in the country and on a farm, it was nothing like that at all. Peter really, really wasn't. You know. And Jerry laughs at me now. I can hardly climb the gate or get over a fence. It's where God, I'm, you know, I'm not anyway boisterous or that way at all. So, as a child, then were you? It was just getting out and about, or were you more into other things? What was what was keeping you interested? Well, as a child, mm. well, as a child, you know, we had such fun because there were so many of us, you know, playing and your imagination, like making seesaws with big barrels and big planks of wood, and then you know, we had a barrel then that you. would You'd get into right, Pete, and you would roll down a field, and honest to God, you were inside, and that was spinning, spinning, and you're calling somebody to stop and get you out. Like we had really, and then there were streams, and we used to go fishing and tadpoles and and things like that. And um, you know, yeah, it was lovely. And I remember when I was only about I would say six or seven, I wanted to go to Irish dancing because my friends. First of all, Pete, when I was started school, I went to school where there's 27 in the whole school. And there's three in my class. So it was one big classroom. And there was three in my class. And some of the girls went to this Irish dancing, which was a good, you know, um, it would be a good, I'm sure, three quarters of an hour walk from where I would have lived anyway. Do you know, it's about 10 or 15 minutes in a car. So to get a child that age to walk to Irish dancing. But anyway, Dan had been on the farm. He couldn't be leaving the farm and leaving one slider Kenny with me and collecting me and all this here. But I got this notion one day when I was at school, somebody said they saw, that was only a week or two, you're only six or seven, so you're going from that mentality, that they saw daddy driving past the school, and I got this, that I'm allowed to go to the Irish dancing. So I headed off to the Irish dancing with the girls. I didn't arrive home, because we walked home in those days, they weren't picking you up. And next thing, the neighbours were all out searching, because nobody knew where I was, and mommy was crying. They just didn't know where this wee girl was, she didn't arrive home from school. And eventually a neighbour man found me and uh, took me home. And um, like I remember mommy was crying, you know, because when I think of it now, if I had a wee child of six or seven went missing, you know, you'd be going up the walls, you know. But I really wanted to do the Irish dancing so much at that stage. But like, you know, you're living on a farm. Your father hasn't time to be, you know, leaving his work and dropping your places, you know. So we amused ourselves around the house, you know what I mean? And you know, with great imagination, I will say that. Great imagination, which is something that you would encourage us as adults to even use now, never mind just using it as a child. Thomas, what was your earliest conscious memory? Well, I heard you ask somebody else that question, Pete, and I think mine was really, I think I was only about three years of age, and mum was obviously going to have another baby. She was that busy at the time having babies. And I was sent somewhere, and I just always remember crying in a room. So it was only, you know, yeah, it was only about three years of age. And that's my earliest conscious memory as me as a weak child crying in a room. It's funny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The things we remember, always, always sort of think moments of high emotion or exactly kind of what's going on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what was, what was Trish going to do when she grew up? What was the original plan? 
think there was a plan, Peter. Really, I didn't have a plan. All I could think of was getting out of school. That's all I could think of was getting out of school. And um, so when I finished, you know, my leaving cert, um, I came up to Donegal Town, which is about maybe, you know, a 35-minute drive from where I where I live. And um, I'm sure you've heard of McGee of Donegal. Um, so I worked in an office there. I came up here. First of all, I worked for in the summertime in the Abbey Hotel doing waitress and doing the summertime jobs. And then when my leaving set was over, I came back up, went back in there to do the waitressing, and then I went over to McGee's and I ended up working in an office then for nine years. So at the time, I remember I really wanted to do beauty therapy. Now, when you say that, it reminds me, Pete, I did want to do beauty therapy. But um, back then, to do beauty therapy, you would have had to go to Galway or Dublin. And I was already working. I was getting a wage. And I'd met Jerry, And, you know, I just chose to kind of stay then where I was and, you know, carry on with working in the office, and which I enjoyed anyway. Do you know what I mean? I was happy enough with them. So I hadn't really got a big plan as such for myself at that young age anyway. And when when did the you know the, the sleeping issues start then for you? Um well I was only very young, you say I was probably was late teens, early twenties when you know this not sleeping started. And then as I say, then it turned out, you know, after crying and doing all this that you know, I was diagnosed then with depression. So, you know, the first time I went on was when Lauren was only a baby and, and Lauren was two. Now, I have been hospitalised again since that. Um, now, that's about maybe, I don't know, I don't take track of it, so it could be six years ago, maybe, or seven years ago. Um, and I had quite a wee stunt then because I went in at the end of February and I wasn't fully discharged until June, I think it was. So, um Anybody that's listened to this that maybe has been in a psychiatric hospital uh, might have been different for them. But for me, they, after two weeks, they would let me home at a weekend so they didn't become institutionalised. So you'd go home on a Friday evening. And now that was Dublin for me, which is a three-hour journey. Um, so, you know, I'd go, come home on a Friday evening and then I'd go back in again on Sunday. And that went on for the camps. Um, what do you, I mean, looking back now, I mean, do you remember that time or recognize it, you know, or what? Six years ago, mm. seven years ago, oh, absolutely, Pete, do you know what I mean? Um, again, we had gone through a very difficult time. Um, the crash had come, Barry had had his own very successful business. Um, we were living a very comfortable life and um, Barry's business just, you know, ceased to exist. Um, we were really struggling financially. Um, you know, position was never in our vision. Um, and, you know, that was really, really difficult. Um, so I think through that then, you know, this time again, um, and at that time, around that time, the kids were beginning to leave home, go to college, and probably I didn't feel, you know, my purpose, you know, as a mother being at home and, um, and eventually, in the way, I fell very quite ill again, and my thoughts were again on what was life about and whatever. And I knew, you know, I needed to get into hospital again. So, you know, I went and, um, you know, it's not the nicest place to be, but when you have to go, you have to go. But I will tell you, Pete, I learned valuable lessons from that last stunt in the hospital that I will take with me, absolutely. 
it's you know it, it's quite something in some ways as you you know for a lot of people it can be quite foreign um I, i've seen some of my own relatives go from being i mean literally i have an uncle who went from being a very sane mind and literally within two weeks um you know being in a psychiatric ward and and couldn't hold a conversation it was just completely as bizarre mm. you know mm. how somebody can change and what can it gives, for me it gave me actually a lot more respect for the mind and how complex and things it is i mean it's confusing but also amazingly complex and, and you know so much going on there's so much there just trying to get you well, the mind is very complex pete um, no, sorry, you're cutting on out me a little bit there, Pete. I don't know if you're finding me okay, but sometimes you cut cut on out me. Just let you know. But um, I think you mentioned there about your uncle, and then about the mind being complex, and it is really complex, you know. But then, you know, he he seemed to be perfectly fine, and within two weeks, he was quite unwell. But I've often heard other people like that perfectly fine, and next thing they're dying over cancer, and they have very long have long left to live, or somebody seemed to be doing fine, and next thing they died of a heart attack, or they've been diagnosed with another disease. You see, we just have to not separate it from the physical illnesses. You know, it's 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 just all illness. It's just some different form. And you know, you can get equally as sick. You know, I know how fragile the mind can be. Like I know like as recent as Christmas time peak, like um you know, I had the most beautiful Christmas day with my my daughter couldn't be home. She was she's in Australia and with COVID and all she can't be home. We were missing her on the day and um, my son was down and my sister and her husband and her son and daughter and, and her daughter's wife and couple. And we had a beautiful Christmas dinner, lovely day, really, really nice, thoroughly enjoyed it. And yet that night when I went to bed, something came over me and I just started contemplating life. I couldn't understand that's because, you know, I am in good form. I am really well. And that day was really, really lovely. And I just thought, oh my God, why is this? Doom come over you now and you're thinking that way and then the next day this wasn't myself and um I said I, you know I got upset and I said to Jerry I said, Jerry I just what's wrong with me you know I am in good form but why is it so I don't know fickle or I don't know how you describe it that without you knowing you can have this feeling again of contemplating like what is life about you know and you know, I was feeling a failure at Christmas time. I literally was picked. Like I I started crying as I just feel as if I'm a failure. I just really do. And I felt a failure because I want to have a program ready that I can deliver. And I had it in my head, I would like to have it ready for January. And it isn't ready. And I just thought, Trisha, are again something else if you could have different stuff throughout my life and I, you know, didn't continue with it. There's something else now you did when you're not able to do it and you couldn't do it. And I just felt it was a failure. And then Peter, the truth was, I was sitting on the toilet the next day and I just said to myself, right, Trish, if somebody came to you saying they felt a failure, what would you say? And I would say, look at what you've achieved. And I said, Jesus Christ, girl, you have been amazing. The last two years, you've done several courses. You have learned how to upload and download on Canva, technical stuff that I never knew. And I tell you, you're bloody brilliant. And so while this isn't ready for January, you'll get it ready and it'll be ready within the next few months. But I just turned it all around, Pete. I just, because I, you see, what I said to Jerry way back was, right, 
even the way I get that snow, right? I said to Jerry, but now I'm sort of armed with this bounce back factor. But Jerry says to me, Chris, why do you want to bounce back? You want to bounce forward. And I went, oh, fucking right, Jerry. Why would I bounce back? I am bouncing forward. So, you know, now I would be looking at it as bouncing forward. And that's what I am doing now as bouncing forward. But, you know, when I do get those moments where, you know, I'm feeling a bit low on myself, they're not lasting as long because my mindset and working on it over the last few years in the particular and all the work I've done on myself now, you know, they empower over me because I can use tools, I can use, you know, things that I know will help me, you know, get back a bit quicker than what I normally would have. It's absolutely getting that that balance, as you say, having the tools of the experience to see those, you know, and just recognize those feelings, I suppose, in yourself, maybe. Mm. Interestingly there, as you, you know, and I was trying to pick up on it more, but as you, as you talk, I mean, in terms of how you feel, you know, so you're saying there, you know, you felt like a failure, but then you refer to yourself saying, you know, look at, look at yourself. So actually you change the sense and saying, you know, mm. I, I'm looking at myself and then you told yourself what to do. So it's, you've actually had three of the modalities there from kinesthetic, visual, and auditory. But actually how you feel sits in the kinesthetic level and how you actually talk to yourself is either visual or auditory. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like, I think I know what you mean, Pete. Um, for me, what I started doing too, and I find that can be very helpful, is I do look in the mirror myself, and I do tell myself, you're doing bloody brilliant. And I find... When I talk to myself and I don't see myself, it's really encouraging and I love doing that. But see, when I look in the mirror and I see myself and I'm looking at my face and looking at me, and I tell myself, Chris, you're doing bloody brilliant. And, you know, um, I'll even pretend that I have achieved something that will, you know, it hasn't happened, but it will. But I'll talk about it as if it's already happened. And I look at myself and I congratulate myself. Like I'm saying, Chris, you have a program up and running now. It's absolutely amazing. Well done. You've done brilliant. And I just get so excited about it all. So, you know, I think it's really, it is really important, and I, I know it's important. You know, to look at what you've achieved, look how far you've come. Um, stop saying those negative things to yourself because everybody is amazing. Everybody has special in some way, and you know, you deserve to love the life you're meant to love. You deserve to love and not just exist. Because that was happened to at times too. You're just existing. You're not really living. And that that is so poignant for people to remember. You know that actually life is for living. You know, I mean, it sounds like an old cliche, but you know, people are not necessarily living their life. They're just going through the motions, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I know now. I know now that I want to get out of bed in the morning, that I want to have a purpose and that I, I know, so Pete, I often have done courses over the years and talk about your goals and talk about this and I say, you must know your why, right? And that's where why comes up all the time, you need to know your why. And I'm thinking to myself, why, 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 right? But I read something and this resonated with me and I thought, this is exactly what I feel like, right? And it was Edmund Hillary had climbed Mount Everest, right? And he did a few attempts and it didn't work, right? But and really, it wasn't about the why for him. 
that was about the want he really wanted to do this. And I read that and I thought, oh, this is brilliant because like the word why wasn't really sitting me, but the word want was. And I know now that I want to prove to myself that I can do this because I've done other courses. I've, I'm qualified um, image consultant and I love fashion and I love style. I'm really good at it. I have a good eye and I know I am. And um, I did a course in Dublin a number of years ago and, you know, different people asked me to take their personal shopping and I would say yes. And just before it happened, I'd say, oh, something I can't take it because I have the confidence within me and the belief within me. All I can think of is, what if it's not good enough? What if they say this? What if they say so wrapped up in what other people think and say? Now, other people were looking at me and thinking, Chris is really good at that, she's really good. But Chris wasn't thinking that herself. I knew I was, but the belief really wasn't strong enough. So I now want to continue my journey with personal growth and development. I want to prove to me, first of all, number one, that I can do this and that I'm well able to do it and that I'm confident and that I am competent. Because, you know, as a wee child, when I was, you know, very young, seven or eight, whatever, my school teacher told me I'd only be good for cleaning, washing floors. My brother would be good for cleaning out buyers. So, you know, I never thought that I was academic and I really wasn't. But that doesn't matter anymore now. But it did for a lot of my life. It did matter. You know, it was in my head. But now I know. I just know now I'm going to do this for me, number one, because I want to do it for me. And I want to do it for me. I want to do it for my children because I want my children to see that, you know, and they have seen me being very sick, um, you know, the challenges that I've faced, but that you can do that, but by God, you can still be the person you want to be at the end of it all. And that's really the main things, if I was to say initially, and after that then is I really want them to see how I can serve people with my knowledge, how can I help people? And that would kind of, that's what my drive is now and my want. I'm not going to say my way. That is my want now for 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 me. Are you proud of yourself? I am proud of myself now, Pete. I am. I know I, I am now. And I'm going to be prouder of myself when I get this course going, this program going, you know, and I start doing that and, I, you know, I start becoming more active and helping people, you know, it's, you know, it's, yeah, I thank God now that I am proud of Trish and I know that I am I am competent and I am capable and I am knowledgeable and you know just because I wasn't an academic doesn't mean that you cannot be the person you want to be, you know. It isn't all about that at the end of the day, it isn't. It's about doing what you're passionate about. And we always said that to our children, like, you know, we didn't, it didn't matter to us what they wanted to do. We wanted them to do what they were happy doing, what they knew they would enjoy doing. And, you know, that's all I would want for anybody, actually. You know, I, I, I did see people over the years, you know, wanting their children to go to college, but they didn't want their children to go to college for the child. They wanted it for them because they didn't go to college or because it looked really good in society in the small communities or whatever, but you could say your child was at college. So I do know there were people that wanted their child to go to college for those reasons, but they're not the right reasons. You know, your child has to live their life and has to do their thing. And as long as they are happy at what they're doing, they are successful. Success isn't all about your degrees. It isn't about all about your income. It isn't about the car. It isn't about the house. 
Because success is about doing what you love doing and making an impact while you're doing that. And like I often say, you know, Mother Teresa hadn't got the car. She didn't have a big fancy house. She didn't have all the designer bags. Was Mother Teresa successful? Absolutely one of the most successful people in the world. Success isn't always about the education and the bag and, and, and the house and everything else. As I say, success is living your life the way you want. That's success. That's my opinion of success. You talked about living, you know, loving yourself now. I mean, when did that transition come? Only in the last number of years that I'm beginning to kind of, you know, care less about what other people think or say. Because that would have been a big part, you know, when you suffer from depression and extreme anxiety, you know, what just anxiety is absolutely horrendous as well. But when you struggle with those or suffer from those, and I don't like really using the word suffer because, you know, I don't like the word suffer. So, you know, when you experience those, I'd say, um, you do, or for me in a way, I shouldn't talk in general, your confidence, you lose your confidence, or I lost my confidence, I lost my self-esteem. so, you know, when you lose your confidence and your self-esteem, then you're obviously seeking approval and you do care what other people think or say. So for me now, I'm beginning to care less about what people think or say. And that's why I'm so comfortable coming on here, Pete, with you and being able to talk about what I'm talking about, about mental health, because I'm beginning to care less. So if somebody criticizes something I've said in this podcast or it doesn't sit with them that is perfectly okay I genuinely don't mind because if I'm not for you then I'm not for you and that is okay we're not for everybody but I know the right people will get something out of what I say and what I do and that's all that really matters to me now you know have I have I hacked it completely well you know, maybe there might be still another thing that'll come up or whatever, you know. But I can tell you one thing, you know, I'm well on the way of really caring less what people think or say. And that that's such a pivotal moment too, is to be able to let let sort of let go of the past and really let it down as opposed to carrying that baggage with you. And not everyone gets it. Um unfortunately I I seem to think, you know. And that's okay. I am now getting okay with if people don't get it or whatever, you know, Pete, you know, there was, you know, when I look back over my, you know, mental health issues, there were other issues, Pete, and I want to read this to you, right, because Daniel Radcliffe was obviously interviewed, right, and I saw this up on social media, right, and I read this and I thought, my God, this is just me, but this is something I'd never heard before, right, so I want to read it out now. But what he said was, being an introvert is wanting to be invited, but not wanting to go anywhere. Being lonely at home, but not wanting anyone in your space, unless you really like them. And even if you really like them, you want them to go home soon. Well, Pete, I read that and I thought, I said to you, I never heard anybody say this before, but it's how I felt for a lot of my adult life. And because I felt like that, I avoided going to a lot of family occasions, weddings, Christmas, first unions, birthdays. You know, you're invited to something and you wanted to go, but then you didn't want to go because if you went, you could be anxious. And 
So whether you went or you didn't go, you were anxious anyway, because you were anxious because you didn't go, what are people think? What are people going to say? No, you didn't attend this again, you know. But when I heard him say that, now I'm not saying I'm an introvert, but obviously with things in depression, that definitely resonated with me because it's very few people that I am completely comfortable with. And I love my family and I love my friends. I love them to come to see me. But there will be a time in the visit that I'll be getting uncomfortable and I'll be kind of like thinking, oh, God, it's time they went now because I'm getting too uncomfortable and I want my own space back again. So that is something else that, you know, I want to make people aware of in relation to mental health. You know, that if somebody has an occasion that you really want them to be there, you know, if they've avoided something, don't be too harsh on them because you mightn't fully understand what they're going through and they may not be comfortable to say it because, you know, it feels uncomfortable for me to say a friend, but I really want them to go home too at a certain time. You know, so you're not going to say it. It's not like you want them to go home, you know, but you'll start shuffling around and you'll, you know, you'll start kind of making them feel uncomfortable in some way that they'll get the hint, you know. So, it's funny, Pete, when I was in St. Pat's about six or seven years, whenever it was, right, and I, mean, I told you I learned a valuable lesson, a few, but one in particular, and that was about not judging people. And this was a great lesson for me because when I was in, now I was in a mixed ward, which I was delighted with mixing with men and women because it's, it's really, I think it's a healthier environment sometimes. There was words saying that there was only women and there was all nonsense going on that I wouldn't be bothered with, but anyway. Um, when I was in uh, this ward, now, I don't know what other, I was in a private hospital, but I don't know what other hospitals are like. You do not have a telly in your bedroom, and I presume that so that you do not, in your room, you have to get, leave your room, right? So there's a telly in a, a communal area, and you all sit around the circle to watch the telly, but the person with the dominant uh, personality will get to watch what they want to watch, and you just have to suck along and watch what they're watching. But... There came a patient in while I was there, and this patient I judged, right? And I didn't judge them very nicely. I was afraid of them, right? And I suppose I was unwell too, but, you know, I did judge this person that way. And, you know, when I was in my room at night, I could hear breathing outside my bedroom door, and I started getting very frightened. I rang the bell, and the nurse came down and said, look, it's okay. This person... um, um, has been on the wrong medication, we're getting them started, you know, so don't be worried or whatever. So the TV room, can I discover a way down a corridor, there was this very cold room, but there was a telly in it, and I decided that's where I'll go because I'll get my own space, right? So I went down there. And when I was down there, this particular patient came in that I was uncomfortable around and that I was judging very wrong. So we sat down anyway, and, you know, I would never be rude and walk out and make somebody feel bad. Like I would always be very um, and saying, you know, I might have judged somebody, but I'd also have empathy towards people, and I, you know, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody. And this person, we started talking, right? And we talked about our children, and I said, "I'm going to talk to you." And he said, um, "You know, I have six children, but he just really said I have seven. He said I had a little girl. He said when I was eighteen, and she was put up for adoption. And he says people talk about one in the lotto." He goes, my lot would be, he says, if I could get my daughter, if I could find my daughter. And I thought, oh, my God. 
people thinking, well, your lot was getting your daughter. And he then told me that he was an alcoholic and the poor soul had gone to the, the pass machine to get money and three men had jumped on top of him. They had beat him. He had broken, you know, his, his um, ribs were broken. There was facial bones had been broken and he'd been in a general hospital before he was moved into the psychiatric hospital. So the poor creditor had been just badly beaten and had come through all that. And then he told me that his sister had committed suicide and he had found her. And he could describe the wallpaper, the lino on the floor. He could describe everything. And I just said, that was my big lesson. I said, thank you, God. I have now realized that you do not judge anybody because you have not walked in their shoes. You do not know what they've gone through. And at that time when I was in the psychiatric hospital, right, there was um, a corridor and there was boxes of shoes mounted along the corridor. Right, and it was all celebs. There was rugby players, footballers, models, actors, actresses, who all donated their shoes. Right, and they were up for auction. And the model on the wall was, "Until you do not judge me, unless you have walked in my shoes." And I was walking past that corridor every day, and I knew that. But you know, I suppose we're human, and we we do these things automatically, but. It was such a great lesson for me that I learned that. But I also learned it another way because there was another girl in the ward who we knew was very well off. There was a lot of designer gear around it. There was a lot of, you know, money. There was a lot of talk of money. There was a lot of talk of, you know, holidays and, the, you know, whatever was going on. You know, this girl shared a lot of that. So a lot of people were probably looking at her and, envying her because she was so well off and she could experience so many things and that now that girl came to me before I left and told me that she you know, she was 29 and her brother was 16 but actually she was the mother of her 16 year old brother and that was another great lesson you see but not judging people because in the outside world nobody knew that her brother was her son but in the outside world, she had an amazing job. You know, she had the car, she had the holiday, she had the designer bags. So you can judge from you can judge kind of both spectrums, if that's the way to put it. You can judge people that you think are, you know, on drinking on drugs or you know, homeless. You can judge all them away. And then you're judging the people that you you think have it all as well and you're envying them. Whereas you do not know what somebody has experienced. You do not know what they've gone through in their life. And that, I would say that down to your very siblings, your very partners, they may not have disclosed something to you about themselves. They could be carrying something that you don't know. I feel very strongly now that, you know, do not judge anybody because you do not know their story. And that's, gosh, that's so, so true, isn't it? To to listen or to give people the benefit of the doubt or at least give them the space to be them or, or without prejudging or without pre-concluding their thought. That's, and it's, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to do, Pete, but you know what? These are habits. You have a habit of judging, right? And habits can be changed. So you will find that you will judge less. You might automatically come with this little judgment, but you'll be able to change that. 
within seconds, whereas you might have been down a whole story before you were able to change it before. But now you're not going down a whole story because, you know, the first thing coming out of your head will be you don't know their story. Mm. And that just stops you then in the gap. Mm. And that, gosh, yeah, I mean, the number of what people go through is quite astounding. As you say, it's, you know, one person's victory is another person's failure. You know, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, when you're in a hospital like that and you're hearing other people's stories and you're just thinking, oh, my God, this is so sad. Like there was a young fan and he was gay and his parents can't accept his sexuality. So they put him into a segregated hospital thinking that's going to fix his sexuality you know my heart went out to him like I got on really really well with a lot of younger ones that were on my ward um we just seemed to click and um you know I again I just you know okay life hasn't been easy at certain times for me but you know something I have learned so much from what I have come through now do I want it through again absolutely not no thank you god if I once that's an offering but I am grateful for a lot of things within that journey as well. You know, so, you know, I always say life, life I've had a good life too. A lot of people might think, oh, geez, you've had a tough one. Yeah, I think I have. But I still feel I've had a good life and I really have. And I am having, you know, a good life. And life, you know, can only get even better now, you know. Hmm. What are you capable of? I don't even know what I'm capable of, Pete. I know that now because, you know, if I was to tell you what I'm capable of, I'm going to limit myself. So I know we are capable of so much. Like, you know, the simple, like even when you, this really, you know, something, right? So I was a farmer, okay? Now, I have two brothers that are big into farming, right? And they would have cows calving. Okay, they now have an app on their phone, right? There's something inserted inside the cow. And when that cow is about to deliver, they will get a message on their phone that that cow is about to deliver the calf and they can go out to the shed and deliver this. Now, if you told my father 20, 30 years ago that he could sit with this little box in his hand, this little thing, and let's tell him that the cow's about to have a calf. Well, he would say, Pat, you're away with it. You're away with it. So I know now, we don't even know our limits. We don't even know what we think right now isn't possible. In 20 years' time, in 10 years, maybe in five years' time, there'll be something else. And we say, my God almighty, this is amazing. You never would have thought that. Like The fact that I can live this and ring my daughter in Australia, which is a godsend at the minute because it'll be two years since we've seen her now in April. Or sorry, yeah, in April. And I can lift this, and she's in Australia, and I can see her face. Oh, my God. Like, when you go back, you know, way back when people were emigrating years and years ago, and it was letters, and it was weeks before they got their letters, and you told them, oh, do you know what, you're going to hold this little slim thing, and you're going to see their face. They'll be seven. They'd be putting you into the, into the mental hospital because it was in your death. They gone nuts here, you know. So what am I? What am I capable of now? What is? What am I? I don't even know. I really don't even know because there's so much that I am that I'm not even aware of. And I I am challenging myself so much now to prove to myself what I am capable of doing. 
It is amazing, you know, what we're... And, and not only that, you can phone Australia or video text, you know, video call Australia for free. Yeah. And this is the... It's even better again, Pete. Yeah. It's just astounding, really, when you when you sort of try and get your head around it, really. It's, it's mm. quite something. So know, that's why we don't know. Australia will probably become a lot closer in 10 or 15 or 20 years' time. At the minute, it seems so far away. So did America, so did England at one point, you know. So, you know, we don't know what form of transport is going to come up with that, you know, we'll get to Australia so much quicker. So, as I say, there's so much there that we don't know yet that is going to all transpire and fascinate us. What, talk to me about that sort of, you know, you, you talked about really, I mean, how personal development's been a big part of your life, but then you, you mentioned there saying really the last two years has really ramped up. Why? Yeah, well, when I came out of hospital at that time, my concentration levels were null, you know, and I always loved to kind of, like me and Jerry would have been part of a book club way back years ago, you know, and different things like that, and we were, you know, always either reading or doing something, and I would be doing weekend seminars or, you know, always brushing up on it. But for years and years, I wasn't doing anything. Well, number one, we hadn't the money even to do anything at that time. But um, I hadn't the, the concentration to do anything and to read or nothing like that. So um, I suppose I was probably recovering too from my illness. And then it came to a point maybe, you know, three years ago or whatever, you know, I was saying to Jerry, you know, I'm missing not doing something on a personal development, personal growth. and um, the kids then got us a smart TV, or they said, when we get the next telly, get a smart TV. So we didn't really know what a smart TV was, right? So anyway, we got it, and all of a sudden you could go onto uh, YouTube. So a few years ago, oh, my God, this was just like heaven for me because I do like to read, but I love watching people talk. I love to see them, and I love to listen to them. So I started to go to YouTube and go through different um, motivational speakers and that. And oh, I absolutely loved this. This was just down my alley. And I really then got hooked on Bob Proctor. And I just, me and Jerry, just listened to him every single day. There wasn't a day we didn't put him on. Even if we went on holidays, we still put him on. And I remember when I came home and we were pissed and we still put Bob on. Just to listen to something like that, you know, if we were in the car, we were putting it on. It was just, um, you know, it was it was just in my alley now that I could listen to somebody, I could watch somebody. Um, I didn't have to read, but I could watch and listen to somebody. And then I just all from there then, I just, one thing led to another. And next thing then you're doing, you know, thinking of results and you're doing all the other courses and you're meeting like-minded people. And this is such a lovely uh, thing to surround yourself with and I've said surround yourself with positive like-minded people like when I go back to the depression I remember when I got out of hospital the first time you're encouraged to go to a self-help group I'm not going to mention the name right and um, I remember going on a come out I was so depressed coming out of it because it was so depressing listening to everybody else and I got out of the car and I said Julia I can't do this even though my 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 um professor he was a professor my um consultant was he recommended this and I thought I can't go to this so then I thought okay we're a small community that's what it is we'll go somewhere a bigger town or city we're going to Derry and see what it's like 
So Jerry, being Jerry, being so good and supportive, he's been just absolutely the most amazing husband and father. Oh my God, I don't know how he done it, but he done it, and he's been amazing. And so he drove me to Derry. No, I can drive, but at the time I wasn't really well enough, and Jerry was just so good driving me everywhere. And I was done there, like, and I thought, fuck, I can't be dealing with people's depressing stories. This is not doing anything for me. I need to go to something that is encouraging, that's uplifting, that's positive. So that's why, like, thank God I had that vision for myself where I knew that I needed to go to things that were more uplifting, more positive. So um, I probably have lost the question there, Pete, have I? No, it was interesting. I mean, it was even, I, I it's funny how you don't even necessarily want to be around other people. As you say, other people are depressing. <laughs> you stay away from them. <laughs> you don't want to be around us. God bless. I know people probably didn't want to be around me either. Do you know what I mean? And I understand that now. Do you know what I mean? And you would have lost friends at the time and everything else because they couldn't cope with it or whatever, you know. But, um, you know, yeah, you're asking me when I got into all of this, but, um, yeah, that's why I knew, you know, being around people that are uplifting, that's what I encourage people to be around, people that are uplifting and uh, inspiring and, and um, motivational and encouraging and supportive, people that want the, you to do well. You know, that's something that I really love to people because, you know, um, I used to have a hat room here in town. You just had higher head pieces and that, you know. And, you know, if a lady came into me, um, and I would say, and say I didn't have something that I thought was really right, because I could never just sell something for the sake of selling it. It had to be right in my eyes or it had to suit her. So if I felt I didn't have the right thing, I would just take her to the, the other shop in town and I would go out and get her out in somebody else's shop and get her hat and sorted out there. And, you know, because I think there is enough for everybody. You know, you, you don't have to be selfish about what you have. There's enough for everybody. So... You know, being around a community that people are supportive of each other, would want the best for each other, um, you know, that's such a good place to be. You know, that's why I'm so loving getting into what I'm into now in the last two years and the mindset and the people that I'm meeting, the people that I'm surrounding myself with, you know, um, you know, that are there like you, you know, you're, you're there to help people. You know, you're not just all about you. You want, you know, to bring out the best and people, support people and, and that's what I want as well. I want, you know, through my learnings and my experience in life as, you know, as to share it and help and see what, you know, what good can come out of all of this as well. It's yeah. it's a lovely way of looking at that that reflection of, you know, what's what's the best you can do or what's the best you can be or how you can help and I mean, did, did any of this come from your family or is this really something you've oh, absolutely. worked on yourself? My mother was a nurse and Pete at home, you know, she gave up her nursing then when she got married to dad, right? And But mum was always there for the neighbours that were sick, like, you know, with a neighbour that was had cancer. And this is going back, you know, what, maybe 40, 50 years ago, whatever. And mum used to walk and give her injections and and if there was relatives that couldn't look after themselves mommy would take them in and they would you know there was nine of us and an uncle that lived with us <laughs> and you know mum would find you know she bought a couch bed and she would put them up and um was just if somebody died she was laying them out and you know she was always nursing somebody and um she went back nursing actually when number nine was about about two years of age she went back nursing then but and daddy would have been a very given daddy would have worked for St. Vincent de Paul he was always very good like when daddy died like you know there come a woman up 
to the funeral or to the wake. And I remember her saying, she was left a young widow. And she said, you know, your father gave me money, but daddy would never tell us those things. And even daddy and his sister used to go once a week and deliver food to people. But mommy wouldn't even know the houses they went to. They just did this wee thing. And so without a doubt, our family was, oh, my God, so given and so good. And, you know, daddy and mommy were, were very good like that. So, you know, I think we were brought up that way. So that's us kind of want to give and want to kind of help and um and serve and um and it's there's none no selfishness about it you know what i mean there's no selfishness about it did you take after your mother or your father oh god <laughs> i think there's a bit of both of them to be fair you know what i mean i would say there's a bit of both of them to be, to be fair and um you know yeah i would say there's a bit of both mm. And in terms of where you are now, I mean, are you where you're supposed to be? Not yet. But I am, you know, where am I where I'm supposed to be right now? Maybe I am. Maybe I am where I'm supposed to be right now. But do I want more for Trish? Do I want Trish to kind of go outside her comfort zone more and do things? Yes, I do. So, you know, I'm very happy with where I am right now because, you know, it's been such a, you know, a, a, transformation from where I was to where I am now um, and now I can recognise that and say well done Trish you've done bloody brilliant um, but I want to do more there's more things now that I want to do and yes it's uncomfortable yes it makes me anxious yes this thought comes in but can I ever do it but you know something I've already proved over the last two years Stuff that I said I couldn't do and would never be able to do, and I've done that. So, you know, this year again is going to be another good year for me. Um, I know for some people, you know, with COVID, you know, they're not fine last year or maybe this year, you know, that great. But for me, you know, a lot of positive came out of last year for me, and I'm going in this year with a positive. Um, and you know what? I could go down the road of poor me as well. I could go down the road of playing the victim and all that there. But, you know, that's that gone that's the past you know what I mean there's no power in that you know what I mean um there's no power in sympathy you know there's no uh, power in any of that so like you know like I would say to myself Trish what can you do today to help yourself if I'm in bad form you know what can you do to help yourself today because you know anybody that is suffering from an illness like you know mental illness you know I'm talking about that simply because that's what I've experienced um you know I would say ask yourself what can I do to help myself we cannot expect somebody else to fix us. Yes, they can support us and they can guide us and they can, you may get, you know, your doctor can help you and maybe you might be with a therapist or whatever, but really you have to do the work and you need to say, what can I do to empower me, to make me feel good, to make me feel stronger, to make me feel well? And it could mean going out for that walk and you may not feel like doing it, but you know what? Do 10 minutes. Do 10 minutes every day. At the end of the week, you've done 70 minutes. You wouldn't normally do and say, you know what? Well done, you've done 70 minutes. And don't compare yourself with the girl, that the friend that you know that can walk 10 miles a day and then you don't feel, you know, you feel a failure because you can only do that. She's in a different place. She's able to do that. You're not. You've just challenged yourself to do 10. Your 10 minutes could be her 40 miles. Everything's relative at the end of the day. You know, and people need to know that, you know, the law of relativity that, you know, you know, you don't compare yourself with anybody because you don't know where they're coming from. 
So, um, yeah, what can you do to help yourself? And that's what I ask myself. What can I do to help myself as well? And you, we can only help ourselves. Tell me this, what's, I mean, what are you great at? Where would we find you in your flow? I love this stuff, Pete. I really, really do. And, um, you know, you see, there's a, there's a wee doubt in me. How am I going to help people? You know, what way is this going to happen for me? You know, because I know I have something to offer. I know something to give. And um, I still, the path for me right now, I feel, is to get a, a program together and, you know, do a program Um Maybe there's another path that I'm not aware of right now because I'm just on the journey and the journey's opened up within the last few years. Um, so I'm just going to see where this all takes me and I hope it takes me to a place where I am helping other people and getting people just to be themselves, to be them, to live their life and to know that if they are going through something really difficult, this does not last forever. This too will pass, you know. And there's a quote that I love, Pete, and it's um, it's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. And when I read that, you know, I nearly cried when I read that. I literally did. The tears come into my eyes. It's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. And it's who I thought I wasn't that was holding me back all those years from being me. So, you know, anybody that's listened to this, you know, Think about that. It's, it's who you think you're not that's holding you back, not who you are. Because if you really knew who you were, if you really knew what you were capable of, you wouldn't even doubt yourself. You would go ahead and do and be and achieve whatever it is that your wee heart's desire and that you really, really want, that you feel passionate about, but you feel you can't for whatever reason. You know, but just, just believe, start believing in yourself, start loving yourself. And, you know, when I talk like this, people, because of my whole body swells, you know, I can feel myself filling up. I feel my heart filling up. I feel the body filling up. You know, there's a whole new energy about me when I get on this um, talk in this area. Like, it's a whole new energy that comes about me. And when I feel that energy, I know this is my purpose. Because this energy is a great energy. It's a lovely energy. It's a great energy to feel. And when you can feel that, you know that you're on purpose, that you're doing something right. Do you think out of interest people get you? Well, you know what? Whether they do or they don't, I really don't care, Pete, because you see, all that matters to me is that the people get me that need me. If you don't need me, I don't care. You don't need to get me. But if the person that needs me can get me, that's all that matters to me. Like we all got a book. You could read a book and I could read a book, Pete. You could say the book's brilliant. I could say the book, crap. Like, I'll tell you a story about a book, Pete. You know, years ago, my professor, um, Professor McCone was his name, and he advised me to read a book called um, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. This has gone back, oh, Jesus, it could be 15 years ago, right? So I bought Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, and I started reading this book, and I couldn't make head nor tail of it. So Jerry had been to college, and because I had this thing that I was an academic and I didn't go to college, because Jerry went to college, I said, Jerry, would you read this? Because I don't understand it. So Jerry started to read it, and Jerry couldn't understand it. So my next visit with my consultant, um, I said to him, I said, you know, I I'd read this book, but I said, it doesn't make any sense. I said, no, it's because I didn't go to college. I, I just can't read this. 
He says, Trish, it's nothing to do with college. It's not to do with education. He says, I have doctors and nurses that don't get it. So he says, try it again. Try and decide, right, I'll try the book again. But I couldn't find the book. So I ordered another book. And I got it. And I tried again. And I couldn't make heaven or tail of it. And about three years later, I took out the book page. And I couldn't stop highlighting. I was highlighting and highlighting and highlighting to beat the band. So what the point I'm making here is that, you know, if somebody has asked me an opinion on that book years ago, I'd say, well, Jesus, I don't know, I don't understand it anyway or whatever. And I might not give it a good review. Then three or four years later, if you ask me about the book, I'm going to say the book's bloody brilliant. Not everybody's going to get that book. And it just depends where you are. And it's the same with anybody that listens to me. It depends where they are in their life, whether they will get what I'm saying or not. I remember Louise Hay years ago saying that um, you could have, you know, six or seven spiritual teachers on the one stage in a day. Now, they're basically talking about the same thing generally, but they word it differently. And the audience might connect with somebody and not connect with somebody else. Because it's all, you know, the way you talk about it, the way you describe it, the language that you use. Um, and then, of course, you as a person, whether people connect with you or not. And I'm very happy now, you know, if somebody doesn't connect with me, well, look, that is okay. Now, Peter, if I got a very harsh comment, maybe, and I had to deal with that, you know, it could make knock me back a bit. But, you know, I would have to kind of look back. You know, I started these wee posts a year ago. I didn't know how to do Instagram. I didn't know how to do Facebook. My daughter was in Australia. So her friend set it all up because I didn't know how to set it up. I didn't know how to post. I didn't know what to do. And I started doing those things. And, you know, I have met people on the beach that have said to me, oh, Trish, you don't know much your little video done for me. My sister was really unwell. Um, that meant a lot. Um, I was uh, in another shop there recently, and a girl came along and says, um, oh, my God, she says, Trish, you don't know how you got me through COVID. Your quotes, I look forward to listening. Now, you see, because I don't know a lot about um, Instagram and Facebook, I thought, this person hasn't liked my page and they don't leave a comment. So I presume, say, for instance, Pete, if I get 23 likes on a post, I presume only 23 people see it. But I don't realise that there could have been 50 people that saw it, but 20-something of them don't want to like it or don't want to leave the message, but they're actually really getting what you're what your message you're sending out. And that's what I'm beginning to realise. And I'm only realising it because people are actually stopping me and saying, Trish, your posts are amazing. They're absolutely brilliant. But I never see them liking it or you know, anything like that. So, you know, you, you don't know who you are impacting, really. Like, you, you know, you don't realise how much you could be actually touching somebody and how somebody could be benefiting by what you're doing. It is, it is that amazing thing, really, isn't it? That sort of, you know, the ripple effect, you know, your words, your experiences. But, and that's also the, the, it's an amazing thing when you can take your experiences to actually not just to understand your own experiences and get your head around it and, and your own why, but then also to be able to reverse the energy on it and then actually teach others. You mm -hmm. know, that's, that's the beauty of it rather than sort of dying with this thing that actually you go through and you say, actually, I've learned to understand myself and then not only understand, but understand in a way that you can teach others. I mean, that that's success to me, is it not? It's it's that form of, you know, 
taking your own skills and, and helping others. Yeah, exactly, Pete. And awareness is great. Without awareness, you can't change anything in your life. But when you become aware of something, you can do something about it. So I think awareness is key. And I think becoming aware of who you are and who you want to be, what you want to become. Oh, my God. That's when you start to love. That's when your world starts to open up. That's when you start making the connections and meeting the people and the opportunities that arise, you know, that help you on your path of becoming the person that you are truly meant to be in this world, you know. And I'll be happy this time, you know, as I say, I've done other courses throughout my life and I haven't followed through on them and everything else. But this is one that I will and I am following through on and that, you know, at least when I reach, you know, 80-something, I could still be doing it when I'm that, so that's okay because I don't believe in I don't believe in um, stopping working at a certain age. I think you know, excuse me, you need to keep you need to keep having interest. You need to have something that wants you to get out of bed in the morning, you know. But I want to be able to look back and say, oh, "Well done, Trish. You had a difficult, but you proved to yourself that you could do it. That you were capable. That I was competent, and that I could." achieve something that I really wanted to do and that you know I'm doing that um I do that with the support of Terry who's been just the most amazing supporting husband and you know he loves this as well which is great so both of us you know like personal growth personal development mindset so that's a great help um and also you know you know had support for me all over my illness and my sickness I don't know how he done it I really really don't like it because it couldn't have been easy and I know for him it wasn't easy people and um he would never ever in all the years and I spent a lot of time in bed he never once said to me got annoyed or told me to get out of bed or you know he never ever got annoyed with me um he's just been so good and you know, like the wee ones, like when you had wee babies, like, you know what I mean? And I was so unwell. And like, we had somebody coming into the house three days a week, you know, while I stayed in bed. And the lady would have, you know, looked after the house, you know what I mean? And watched the kids. And like the kids would say, Mum, we just want to go down to the bedroom. We were, so, we were told, you know, we can't go down to the bedroom, Mum, sleeping. You know, we can't go down there. And we didn't really know why they couldn't go down, you know. And, um, you know, I, Jerry is very strong. Um, I, I do remember one day, like, actually, there's another thing Jerry actually told me, and I didn't even remember this, Pete. And, you know, Jerry used to, when I got out of hospital the first time, right, Jerry used to drive me to Dublin once a week. So that's a three-hour journey up, a three-hour journey down. So once a week, Jerry would do that, right? And then it would come to once a fortnight, and eventually it was once a month or whatever, you know. But Jerry told me I was so unwell. He had drove me to Dublin. He'd come back down from Dublin. And I was so unwell, he'd bring me back to Dublin again and come back down. I was so unwell. And I do remember one day lying in the bed, and I was lying in that bed, and I had no motion. And anybody listening to this knows what that's like, will relate to it. You feel nothing. You've absolutely no motion. And I was lying there with no motion, and Jerry came down, and he just started to cry. And he said, Trish, this is worse than the death. It was so hard for Jerry. Um, and yet he didn't show it. Like he was so strong through it all and so good and kind and supportive and always in good humor. Like Jerry is always in such good form and joking and cracking and everything else. Like, you know, so, you know, I am where I am today and I know I did a lot of work, but I'll tell you one thing. 
without the support Jerry gave me, I may not have been where I am today because he definitely was such a great support and help and fantastic husband and father. Like, and I wouldn't let this, I wouldn't let this interview go without acknowledging that to Jerry because he deserves that. You know, my story is my story, but it was a big part of my story and a big part of my success and my story. And I'm very proud of him too. I mean that's powerful. I mean, what a, what a team! You know, it's amazing to to have that support and and to give that support for each other. You know, that's it's beautiful. And from you met at quite an early age, it seems, is it? Well, Jerry's a bit older than me. You know, what are saying that? <laughs> but yeah, I was young, and Jerry was still young too. Like you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, we're together thirty four years. Um, we're married thirty. We're together thirty four years, and you know, I'm very blessed. You know that we have such a happy marriage but also a happy home our two children you know um they are fantastic and from a young age we taught them about visualizations and affirmations and gratitude because gratitude's a big part of my life by oh my god there's a day that i don't go by with it i can go out and say use the word god because it's just a word i use i don't know what god is it's an energy or whatever and um you know when the kids were small we would sit around the table and we'd say okay what are you grateful for today everybody has to say something they're grateful for and you know, they had their vision boards and um, um, I remember when Oren went to college and we would go down to visit him and we went into his room and there he had his little stickers on the wall with all his affirmations and we thought, yeah, okay, we're doing a good job here. The kids are, you know, tuning into all this beautiful energy and what can be and how to think more positive and, um, you know, four of us are just a great team. You know, we're, we're very lucky. It's amazing to have that and, and even just pass it on, you know, but like almost, you know, you talked about your mother's teachings and, and her approach and even for that, to, for you to do that for your kids as well. It's, I mean, that is powerful. That's powerful, powerful parenting, if you like. But Pete, isn't that what you do as a parent and you're a parent yourself? You want to pass this on to your children mm. and, you know, if they can learn something sooner than you did, isn't it great? You know what I mean? That they can learn about visualizations and affirmations, about gratitude and about what they can be capable of. You know, so teaching them this from a young age, I feel they're going into their adulthood armed with something that is really powerful versus, you know, there are some people that have no awareness of any of this at all. And, um, you know, you know, when the children um, will be doing some of those things, like there'll be some children thinking they're what is that? You know what I mean, or whatever. But you know, I think Lauren still has her vision board from she was about twelve. She's in Australia now, but she won't get rid of it, and she still has the vision board. And I won't get rid of it either. Their vision board is there, and it will stay there. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's what we want for our children too, Pete. We want them to grow up knowing their worth, knowing their value. You know, and and sharing the good as well. You know. Give, give us a bit of a teaser. What's what's on the vision board now? What, what are we looking at in the future for you? My main thing really is to um, get this programme together, right? That's what I really want to do. Um, and I, you know, I want to sort of, well, I am speaking to somebody at the minute, maybe about buddying up with somebody and 
Uh, you know, I like the thought of doing a JV with somebody else, putting up with somebody and, you know, using both your skills and your knowledge and your tools and whatever you have, you know, that you can do something as well. I like the thought of that. I love the thought of that teaming up with somebody. Um, I would like to think when COVID is over and when things get back to normal, that we could do workshops and have actually people in the room. I think something like that would be really nice. Um we have personal view, you know, Jerry now at the minute because, you know, Jerry is architectural. So he's drawn plans at the minute for um, a new home. So we have visions for that. Uh, we built this house here 20 years ago. And um, it's a fine house and all that there, but we don't need five bedrooms all on. So we didn't know we're on our own. So we're going to kind of downsize and, um, you know, um, Jerry's trying to downsize the three bedrooms, but I still find it hard to kind of get the floor space still small enough because you kind of you you still want certain rooms a certain size. But you know that is part of our vision now too. And um, for me, it is continuing to study and continue to learn, mixing with these people that I absolutely love, getting to know and being around. And I, I love that. That's been great for me through COVID as well because um, you know having Zoom calls and. WhatsApp calls and being part of groups has been a great support as well for me through, um, you know, the whole lockdown things and that and COVID or whatever. So um, a really, a really good future ahead, Pat, uh, Pete. Um, life is good. And I'm going to be always say at me and Jerry go, life is, and he'll have my hand and we go, life is good and life is good. Um, life will hit you. You know, it'll throw things at you. And as I said, Christmas time, I was not in a good place, you know, but I'm through that again now. Things are going to happen along the way. And that is life. But we will get through them and we will get out of them. And, you know, as I say, this too will pass. And, you know, we will move forward again. Tell me, what does is, what is a guilty pleasure look like for you then? A guilty pleasure? I can't tell you about I just used to say Pat because many of them I used to call Pat Pete. Um, what is my guilty pleasure? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. What does what does leisure and pleasure look like for you? Leisure and pleasure nearly, you know, nearly the same thing to me because you know, I love personal development, like, and I love listening. You know, if I was in the car now, um, I would on YouTube on the phone and play it through the car. Um, I must learn more now about podcasts, Pete, than that, you know. Um, so leisure and pleasure for me, a lot of the time, I just love watching YouTube while listening to people or having, and even if I was ironing in the house, you know, people say I haven't time for this or haven't time for that. Well, you know what, I'm doing your ironing. Do what I do. Put on the telly and put on YouTube and listen to somebody that's motivational, that it's doing something that you'd love to do and you know it doesn't all have to be about personal development it could be about something else that you're really passionate about and um you know look at how you're using your time your leisure time and do you call pleasure leisure and pleasure time you see i can get so much out of out of all of this there isn't a day that i wouldn't listen to somebody or play and in fact in the morning time you know um, the first thing in the morning is gratitude. You know, before you get out of bed, it's always gratitude. And then after that, I put on somebody. And it's at the minute, it's Wayne Dyer, and I'm listening to him before I even get out of the bed. So, you know, that's kind of my leisure and pleasure. And, you know, it's great to have it, though, isn't it? You know, that 
you can enjoy life too. Enjoy it as you go along and enjoy the, the learnings and the teachings that go with. Mm-hmm. So much. And you know, the challenges are there, Pat, because, you know, why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? But, um, well, now I've lost my train of thought because I was annoyed at myself there. Um, what was I saying? You're talk, talking about the, the challenges, really. Yeah, you know, we're still going to get challenges. Like, you know, some people think, oh, Trish, it's easy for you because you're so positive and you're so upbeat and all this here. And yeah, yeah, I'm very positive. And, you know, there is a lot of that around me. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't mean that I don't put myself that I think I can't do. So, like, I, I, at the minute, so say, it's not that I think I've had it because I still feel challenged and I still doubt myself, you know. How am I going to put this program together? How am I going? What am I going to do? You know what I mean? Even though you know, different people say, "Trish, you have all the information," and I know I do and I can. But you know, this shudder kind of comes down and says, "Oh, but you, you're not do this. You won't be able to do this." But you know, I am going to do it. But what I'm trying to say is, it's not that I don't have those thoughts that when I'm button, the old, old negative things still there that's been reprogrammed at the minute, but isn't fully gone. That's still saying, "Oh, you can't, or you wouldn't be able to." You know, so you know. Feel because you're having those thoughts that you can't move past them. You can move past them. Don't let them control you. You know you control them and don't allow them to control you and stop you from you know being and doing and having whatever it is that you want to do. Mm. What's the one thing you wish everyone could hear, or learn, or do? I wish everybody could just be you. And I know my page is called "Be You." Because I want people to be themselves. I really, really do. And I say that from experience of over the years, not really being me. Seeking approval. Whatever people think and say, you're not being you if you need approval. You're not being you if you care about what people think or say. What I really want is for people just to get happy to be themselves. And when you are happy being yourself, then you will know okay, I can do that. I will go ahead and try that. I'll do that course. I'll learn how to drive the car. You know, whatever it is that you feel. And I, age does not come into this as far as I'm concerned either, Pete, because I don't care what age you are. You're never too old or too young to try something. I don't care what it is. And so, for example, at my age now, like I've had some people say at my age now, you know, I wouldn't. No, no, I don't agree. If there's still something that you want to do, look it up. Google it, see, get into the frame of mind and of how can I do it instead of I can't implode. Ask the question, how can I? And when you ask the question, how can I, your mind's going to try and find out a way that you can do this. So, you know, uh, don't tell me you're too old or you don't have the time or you don't have whatever, 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 you know. Is all of that worth you not sharing that song that you have in your heart? that is really meant for the world to see or for your community to see or your family to see, whoever it is that you're meant to reach or touch by whatever you have. Because no matter what you do, if you're an artist, people love art, people get such joy out of art. Um, it could be that you're a great singer, people love music, you know what I mean? So it isn't all about personal development, even though I talk about it because that's my passion. Your passion could be something else. It could, as I say, it could be any, anything. And don't, don't tell yourself that you can't. Don't please don't be you. I love that. It's it's being always be the best version of you, or just 
for you is it just being being your actual true self being your actual true self but i think being your actual true self you are being the best version of you you know you're allowing yourself to be your best version of you you know so yeah be the best you can be you know and i think when we shared what other people think and say and i say that because you know that would have been a big thing for me you know when we shared this uh, seeking approval and um, not thinking you're enough, not thinking you're good enough. You know, you know this beautiful person is buried underneath all of that, and what we need to do is shed all that and just come up and blossom and bloom and just show the world who you really are. I love that. If you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, Trish, what would it be? My fire in the belly really is my passion about uh, all to do with you know personal development and growth and seeing how people can grow seeing how you know you can come from a place that you felt you weren't worth anything that you couldn't that you weren't able and see you grow into somebody that now believes in themselves you know because I just that's my fire in the belly is you know, and I still have work to do in myself, Pete, you know what I mean? You know, it's not that I have it all, and I don't know if you'll ever have it, excuse me, all, because we're always learning, we're always discovering something about ourselves, because, you know, it'll take a situation that'll come up, that'll test you, you know, to see, did you really learn a lesson, or have you still left lesson to learn? You know what I mean? So there's all, like, that's what I do think at times, you know, when I'm challenged, and when I start doubting myself, or a they, you know, respond and react, reacting instead of responding. And that's another thing, you know, that I'm working on or, you know, it must work hard. You might, think, you might just react instead of respond. You know, things are sent to test you to see, are you really learning about you? Have you learned the lesson yet? You know, so when something comes up, you know, you are about to sort of say, well, say there's a situation of reacting to, you know, just say, okay, this is a wee test for me here. What have I learned about that? What benefit is there in reacting? What is the benefit in responding? You know, and just ask yourself those questions. And I know I'm going to be challenged. Many a time this year. I have no doubt I will. And I just have to get through it and get the support from the people that you need as well, because that's really important, Pete. You know, the help. Seek the people that you know can help you. Ask for the help. There's loads of people out there willing to help. Well, there's something that you really want to do. There's something because I have somebody now at the minute, and you know she's helping me as well. Um, you know, look at what I want to do, and because I feel I need that help, so you know, ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And whatever the, your fire in the belly is, go for it. Absolutely, go for it, because you'll feel it there. You, you fire in the belly is a great name, Pete. Because you literally do feel that burning sensation inside you, you know. Absolutely, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's, you know, mm. when you feel that, then that's it's you. It's it's the best version of you. You know, mm. it's getting that out there. Mm. It is. Tell us where where can people find you, track you down, hunt you, stalk you, <laughs> or any well, of the above. I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. Um, I'm under you. Now, you see, somebody else set this up for me, Pete, so I really don't know a lot about it. Somebody sets this stuff up for me, all I have to do is post after that. So I presume if you put on BU that you find me that way, I, 
I would say I've still a lot to learn on this side of things, right? So Instagram and Facebook, that's where I do my little posts and my little videos and that. And um, you can message me on, on any of those um, platforms. Love it. And what message would you like to leave with people? Again, I keep going back to Pete. Be you. Be the person you were meant to be. Don't be somebody else because you're trying to keep somebody else happy or you're trying to impress somebody or, you know, you're afraid to speak up. Just be you and be happy to be you. That's what I want. That is it. Really and truly. Be you. Trish, it's been awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. And um, I wish you all the best and, and be you. People can go and check it out. And, and I'm sure we'll hear more from you in the future. Thank you. Pete, thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Honestly, it's been, this is my first podcast. It's my first real sort of um, interview thing or whatever you want to call it. And I have absolutely loved it. So I want to thank you. I was going to say to you earlier on, <laughs> um, you're a bit like Pierce Morgan, who is a fantastic interviewer and I absolutely love. But if you ever followed him, no matter who he interviews, they end up crying. And it doesn't matter, male, female, strong, big, strong footballers. And I was like, there's a bit of peers about um, Pete, because here I was with the tissue getting up and emotional. And, you know? So thank you very much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I really, really have. It's been great to have you on, honestly. It's, it's, it's all part of the journey, so thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.